Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And this is episode 70-something, the last episode of the year. This serves a formal announcement, it's babe. We're not going to record. We're not going to record a uh, podcast next week because you're keep patrolling all week. Yeah, and all the week after too. But we can throw a podcast in on Wednesday, maybe Elisa's birthday. Okay, we can do that. You guys, Jr. is trying to get in all of his ski patrol days, which he has to do fourteen as a volunteer ski patroller, and at our little local ski area. Our entire family skis for free. That's five of us that would be paying for season passes. We ski for free, and you get, what, 40% off of food? At least 50, 50% and which, off food, Which, when you take a couple breaks, because one of the big goals skiing as a family is to help the kids think it's fun. And when you take breaks and drink hot chocolate and eat french fries in a warm lodge, that helps them believe that it's fun. And also, <laughs> I I am cheap enough. Uh, you could politely say frugal, but I'm happy to call myself cheap. I'm cheap enough that I hate not getting my money's worth. So if we have free passes, I don't feel like I need to force my kids to ski, dang it, and get our money's worth out of these passes, <laughs> which doesn't create for a delightful family environment. Mm. And so having free passes not only makes skiing as a family of six affordable, it also makes it more fun. But JR is not sure what our ski area is going to do with the OSHA vaccine mandate. And if you've been... Oh, I know what they're going to do. Well, what, what nationally, what OSHA and what the courts might do, yada, yada, yada. There, there currently is a company not enforcing a vaccine mandate. And if you've been following us for a long time and stuck with us through our weird and hard and somewhat uh, unorthodox views that actually a lot of you agree with and some of you very graciously disagree with but are still very gracious, which I love. Uh, <laughs> speaking of it, anyway, I, I could throw in a little comment there. I post a lot of not mainstream narrative things on Instagram just because I feel like people are getting their news from mainstream. I, just There's a lot of things out there that I think people don't no exist. So anyway, and I try to share them. I had a guy who is probably as far left as I am right. Right. Messaged me on Facebook or on Instagram. I didn't even tell you about this conversation. I don't think he messaged me and he said, "I'm curious how much pushback you get on these posts." And not knowing where he was going to go, I was kind of cagey. He said, "How many responses have you gotten to this particular post?" And how how much pushback you've gotten and interestingly it wasn't even a vaccine covid specific post but it was a conservative politics post that did not hit mainstream news at all and i was kind of cagey and i said well this post has actually gotten more feedback than most and most people who disagree with me know that they can just roll their eyes and keep scrolling <laughs> and he responded, well, if nobody else is giving you pushback, I'm going to make an effort to respond to you with pushback just so you know you're not always right. 
What? Right? And part of me is like... Not because it's true, just so that you know. Well, because he's as convinced that he is right as I am convinced that I am. And there is a... I'm almost a 50-50 split between saying, you know what? Honestly, thank you. If you are going to continue to engage me and not roll your eyes and not write off, but engage me honestly. And interestingly, on this particular post, I had said... Use a search engine that is not Google and search these terms. Find articles, like literally said this, find articles that you trust the sources of and research this topic for yourself. On a non-Google search engine. On a non-Google search engine. And so he did that and he found sources that he trusted that were different than sources that I trust like one that he responded mm-hmm. to me with was an NPR article, which mm-hmm. I don't necessarily find to be an unbiased, trustworthy source of information all the time or most of the time. But he responded to me and said, I, I did that research and I don't think that what you're insinuating is right. And I said, great, I'm glad you did that research. You are welcome to keep giving me as much pushback as you think I need because it helps to keep me honest and humble. But also in my brain, I'm thinking, I don't care if you think I'm an idiot because your presuppositions and how you interpret the world are so different than mine. I hot chocolate. Oh, I've been smelling caramel rolls since you walked down here. I put a cinnamon stick in the hot chocolate. And I'm finally going, oh, that's it. Hot chocolate with a cinnamon stick. Yeah, sorry to interrupt your... Anyway, I I mean, because his presuppositions and how he views the world are so different from mine, there was a part of me that didn't say this in my response, but I don't actually care how much pushback you give me because your opinion of me doesn't impact me. If you guys listened to last week's episode, you will remember, I don't (laughs) care. But I don't, that I don't care was different. That wasn't, I don't care what you think of me. Okay. I don't care. So full circle. Um, I normally would space all of my patrol days out over the right, uh, over the year. However, historically, that week between Christmas and New Year's is the biggest, highest traffic week at the ski area. So they arguably they need as most help as they can that week. And we're totally dead that week. We don't have except for this podcast, which we're not doing. We don't have judo. We don't have small group. We don't have church activities. We've got nothing. I So I was like, well, you know what? I'll just, I'll get a whole eight days out of the way right away. And I'll just work the be- whole week. Because there is a chance that you will be required to have a vaccine to continue working by January 10th. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, sorry. So regardless of that, I was still going to work the whole week. Mm-hmm. I was just going to work the whole week because, you know, might as well. They need the help. It's a good week to work. We have nothing else going on. I'm not and then come to find out, you know, the ban on the OSHA, vac- the OSHA 100 employee vaccine mandate thing was struck down. So that's been reinstated. And I was the first date I saw was January 10th. Uh, somebody texted me yesterday, said it's now been pushed all the way to February 9th. Or that was you, maybe, that pushed yeah, it. it. So I thought, well, shoot, might as well just work the whole next week, too. <laughs> Just to get it out of the way. Don't have to deal with it. See where things land in 2020, whatever. And then just not have to deal with the whole the whole madness, the whole fiasco. I'm not opposed to getting tested prior to coming back to work. But weekly testing? They pay for it. 
That's for full-time employees. I think it's a... Mm, no. Okay. I read I read through I read through the entire you guys I spent way too much time yesterday reading the 45-page document on this thing that the government published the mandate. Anyway, um cuz I was researching to see if House Bill 102, as you know Montana is one of those states that banned uh banned government uh private corporations from forcing their employees to get using it as a uh, vaccines as a uh, an exclusionary measure. Uh Equal opportunity. What do they call it when you ex- exclude someone? It's that really popular term. It starts with an E. Equal opportunity employer. No, there's something out like when you. Oh, I don't know. You, I don't know. All I think about right now is Title like Nine and gay, how. Yeah, if you're gay, you that, know the word. And yeah. I'm by my slowly blinking. I'm having an old man moment here. Um, anyway, Montana banned all that. So uh, I, I looked up to see what superseded state or federal laws. And the government specifically wrote this thing to supersede state laws. So I thought, you know what? I just don't want to deal with the drama. So I'll just work and keep my head down. And if I have to do one more day and they make me make sure Take I'm a test. No get negative, fine, whatever. But um, I don't have to deal with all the all the madness. So anyway, um, so I also not- don't want to be that guy that ruins it for everybody else. So, so I'm of being- just controlling a whole bunch. And we're not going to be recording. If you guys are in Montana, swing down to Red Lodge Mountain. We have as much snow as everybody else, which means hardly any. And it's like 60 degrees outside. So there's that. (laughs) It's a beautiful day today. Um, Speaking of being an old man, I had a birthday on Friday. And I'm not an old man. Yes, you're quite quite female. (laughs) Never will be an old man. But... I am currently using one of my birthday presents. My mom gave me a Ninja air fryer. And as much as you more than I, but we're both a little bit loath to have more kitchen gadgets cluttering our counter. I, it's a double one. So there's two baskets. The thing's huge. It's huge. It can probably live in our garage, but I'm actually not sure for the next month it's not going to be used every single day. No, that's fine. I My mom also gave me a two-pack of chickens, raw chickens from Costco, to try out in the air fryer. And so for dinner tonight, we are having roasted chicken, and I didn't know... I wasn't impressed with the carrots. I actually feel Seriously? Like, yeah, there's just they were kind of just wet and soggy like anything that come out of the oven. They weren't crispy. But the whole point of the air fryer was to make things crispy. I and thought delicious. they had good caramelization on the outside of them. No. They're no different than carrots but I had in them, the oven. I must have had them. I know that's what I'm saying. I, so I don't understand. I'm kind of like, eh. Oh, okay. Eh. I was actually kind of excited how they turned out, and there's more carrots going right now, and that's dinner in 45 minutes. Right. Well, that I, had, be done I had ones that we were kind of cold and had been sitting on the counter. Does that count? I. I don't know. Maybe you should reserve judgment. Because they were just kind of mushy. And but if you guys have air fryer recipes that you love, because I know I'm, we're late to the air fryer train. I know we have friends who use them almost every day and love them. So I'm curious if you guys have things that you love to do I, with your air fryers. Look, I'm okay with using things, is having stuff as long as they're getting used, but I'm not a... F- I really like the look of the com- really super clean kitchen countertop thing. Because it's just so much nicer. Yeah, in order to do that, you're going to have to get rid of all of your kids and your wife. Well, right, but I mean, you know, maybe there's ways we can You how to- married the wrong woman and had the wrong family and have too many family members to have a minimalistic 
clean aesthetic in our have you not walked around our house lately oh it's a disaster yeah my buddy dave was over last night and i said i'm sorry we're in a perpetual state of always moving stuff but you guys we've gotten to the point where we have so much stuff we don't have living space in some of our rooms like it's getting like grossly out of control reality tv level down here in the basement in the sewing room library it's like in the hallway have you been in the hallway recently Dollhouses, toys, everything all over the floor. It's like reality TV levels of crazy for me. Right oh, wow. Now. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, we'll I'm add that totally, to the list I'm of totally like, weird and hard right now. <laughs> yeah, like not in a good way. Yeah, it's never a good way to be weird and hard. That's never a good thing. Right. Oh, man. All right, let's change Sorry. the subject before your wife goes upstairs and takes the kids. Why in. are you offended? It's not your fault. It's the kids' fault. Right. I'm I'm offended. Ah, don't why are you offended? That's such Because you're criticizing my housekeeping. I'm not no, I'm not criticizing your housekeeping. I'm just as much a part of your housekeeping as you are. Yeah. It's just as much my responsibility to keep that mess under control. So anyway, last episode we were talking about Gnosticism (laughs) and I wanted Maybe maybe people uh, actually you probably are because all you've had is your Protein shake? Protein shake. Oh, I'm not today. hungry at all, though. That's the funny part. Um, so last week we talked about uh, Gnosticism, and a couple of you responded to me with other Gnostic categories, one of which is PMS. Physical, emotional, completely tied together. And you guys should know, if you don't, that little girls start having emotional, like monthly em- uh, hormonal swings and cycles. At about age mm, nine. Uh-uh. Starts at two months from a couple months old. Yeah, yeah, I know you were, but it started a lot before that and just gets stronger and stronger the more her body develops. But, um, I had way more thoughts this last week about it. One of which I want to throw out to you guys if you subscribe to Audible, you can listen to Nancy Piercy's book. Love Thy Body for free. You don't have to purchase it. If you have an Audible subscription, you can listen to Love Thy Body for free, and it is 100% worth your time. I actually think the book is so good, it's worth your money to buy the hardcover because you want to be able to use it as a reference and you want to be able to underline. And I listened to it while I was having a sewing session on Saturday before I had to cut it short because Faith got sick but um she this entire book is basically an anti-gnostic book and the point the title is love thy body as a christian she says you are you are a this isn't the word the phrase she uses this is a phrase that one of my seminary professors uses you are a psychosomatic unity and so your body And your mind slash soul. And I tend to think there are people who believe that the the human person is divided into three parts. Body, mind, and soul, or however you want to use those terms. I tend to be more, I don't know what the word is, bipartite. I know that the three part is tripartite. Bipartite, I guess, would be the, the other term where body and then all the things you can't see or touch but go on mind soul spirit all those things so 
she kind of seems to fall into that category too. But she basically says they're so integrally, integrally, integrally connected that you can't parse out one or the other. Just like I ranted on a bunch last week. And if you degrade the body, you are degrading the whole person. Any devaluing of the human body or trying to parse out where value lies or where personhood lies, which is what the argument in things like euthanasia of someone who's in a comatose state or somebody who is mentally impaired or abortion, they rest really on the personhood argument you are degrading actually the entire person. You can't just devalue the body. And so she she then lists out, and I don't have the book in front of me, but she lists out all of these different categories and she fleshes out implications of this. And she's deeply biblical. Uh, some of the categories are transgenderism, which if you think about it, it's it's mind over matter, Right. What is in my mind is the most real and what the physical reality is uh, should be overcome, manipulated, overpowered by what's going on in my brain. So transgenderism, homosexuality, uh, again, ignores the and then this goes back to Carl Truman talking about uh modern people denying the teleology. Did we talk about this? Teleology? Oh, man, I meant to. There's too much going on in my brain. Uh, Truman, in his book... Oh, my gosh, what's his book called? The big one. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He talks about how modern people deny the fact that there is a purpose built into the design of a thing, specifically a person. So you and I do this, the classic Plato and Aristotle, I think it's Aristotle, the telos of an acorn is to become an oak tree. I remember my professor, Mickey Craig at Hillsdale, talking about the telos of an acorn is to become an oak tree. And I had no idea what telos means. It's a Greek word for the end or the end goal. And so your body, everything about your body communicates purpose, specifically when we're That talking- is the definition of teleology, philosophical interpretation of natural phenomena as exhibiting purpose or design. Yes. So, for example, if you look at an acorn, the purpose or the end goal of the acorn is not just to be something sitting on the ground or a decoration on the mantle, the purpose built into the design of the acorn is to grow into an oak tree. The purpose of a... Here's here's a couple examples that I would have from my Canavox work. The purpose of a male body compared to a female body, there are built-in different purposes. To be awesome. Well, I mean, they're both... Shredded. Aw- both awesome in their own way, right? But if... if Killworthy. <sighs> Sorry. If I'm looking at my... If I'm talking to my son and he's like, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be a man? I would say, look at your dad's body and look at your mom's body. Okay? There are differences inherent in our bodies that communicate something to us about our body's purposes. 
first of all, if you guys don't know us in person, JR is used to be 6'4", is now 6'3", because he's mm-hmm. getting old. Yeah. I'm... I used to be 5'4". I don't know how tall I am now. I still claim to be 5'4". So there's a foot difference in us and a lot of built-in strength difference as well. I simply cannot do... For example, when we were camping, we we had, until this summer, a pop-up trailer. I could not... It would have taken me two to three times as long to set that trailer up every single night and to take it down as it did you simply because of the strength difference and because of our height difference things that you could do just standing i would have had to have a ladder to do i think height difference makes a bigger if you were to take impact per whatever body type height difference you gain a lot more than you would if you were stronger i think um I, I because disagree. you don't have to move a ladder around that takes an incredible amount of yeah time. but i disagree i think that strength makes a huge for example when we did when i asked you to build the pallet fence for us around Mm -hmm. the garden you are so much stronger than i am that it would have taken me i kid you not four to five times as long just to carry the pallets from the trailer to the garden area and part of it is a height thing because i'm not tall enough to actually get it off the ground I just think if I could pick one over the other, I'd pick tall over super strong. Okay, well, I'm neither. (laughs) Okay, I can't. There's Yeah, you got... (laughs) I mean, I would say that for... I am... am, Uh, Comparatively speaking, I did did sports all growing up. My parents made me haul firewood and do manual labor as a kid. I'm I'm not weak uh, for my stature, but I am not strong... On a scale, another example of this. Did I mention the the male swimmer at Penn? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so your heart has a bigger capacity than my heart. Your lungs actually have a bigger capacity than my lungs. There are so many things. The way your knees are structured, they now have male and female specific knee replacement parts because the angles and the physiology of a man's knees versus a woman's knees are enough different that you could a, a pregnant woman presenting as a man into an ER it would be politically incorrect for the doctor to say do you happen to be biologically female and the stomach pain you're experiencing be a baby you can't ask that these days. But if you want to get your knee replaced, they'll say, would you like a female knee or a male knee? Because that's going to change how well it adapts to your well, body. And, you know, from a, yeah. And they, you know, it's also known that women are more susceptible to ACL injuries because of the way the knee is structured. Right. Because of, because of actual physics in terms of angles and things like that. Also, because of the physics of your hips and knees, you have more explosive power as well as your muscles and lungs and blood, heart pumping capacity. Anyway, all that to say, if I'm talking to my son or my daughter, who, as you guys know, JR, we launched into things so fast that JR didn't get a chance to say that our kids are 11, 9, <laughs> 6 for two more weeks, and 3. But when I'm talking to them, and in our day and age, this it's an actual legit question for a boy to say what does it mean to grow into be a man i would say look at the physical differences between us and tell me okay so if a man is 
generally bigger, is generally stronger, is generally faster, what does that tell you about what a man's role versus a woman's role in a family relationship should look like? And hopefully what our kids would come up with is the teleology of looking at design, sorry, bumped the microphone, looking at the design is, okay, so if there's an intruder in our house, dad would be the one who should be protecting us. If there's a bear chasing our family down the ski hill, dad is going to be the one who's going to be more successful at protecting us. Outrunning it. If, (laughs) If we're a homesteading family, think about Laura Ingalls Wilder, who's going to be more successful at loading up all the hay, all the incredible, building the house, all of the incredibly hard manual labor that it takes to, to do these things to provide for your family. It's not just a societal expectation. This is the way that we've always done things in our patriarchal society. Why men are the providers and men are the protectors. It's actually, if you look at a man versus a woman, stereotypically, you know, on average, the man is going to be the one whose telos, based on what his body is communicating to us, is going to be the one providing and protecting. The woman is going to be softer, you know, actually physically nurtures a baby in her body for nine months. And so even if a woman has not, is not able to have kids or has not had kids, you still know that the telos of a woman's body and and our brains complement this. The telos of a woman's body is to nurture, to protect emotionally the the softer, less physically demanding things that are all involved in raising a family. Uh, anyway, um, she going back to the beginning of my rabbit trail before I get totally lost. Uh, Nancy Piercy does a great job of describing some of the ways that reading our bodies and honoring our bodies actually means that we are more living more fully human lives and loving other people well in their full embodied humanness. So if you haven't picked up her book, If you happen to have an Audible subscription, it's great. Like Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, I think you would get tons more out of it by sitting down and reading and underlining. But to just get the general scope of the message, it's going to be way faster and more effective I'll include yeah, and I'll include all of the links to all of these things that you guys might want to be interested in in the show notes. So Mm -hmm. I'll include a link to Nancy Piercy on Audible. Love the Body on Audible and Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self, which I actually, somebody mentioned the other day that reading it, listening to it on Audible will help him actually get through it. So I thought, hmm, maybe I could try that. Although, I'm, to be honest, I'm not really a big nonfiction Audible guy, audiobook guy. Because it it's hard to process I like all reading, those facts and yeah, things. Yeah, I like reading. <clears throat> um, because Love Thy Body is free, though, there's nothing to lose unless you have tons of things that you're trying to accomplish while you're listening to it. Yeah, what Molly said. Uh, yeah, so anyway, we... Okay, trying to prioritize in my brain what to talk about next with people. All of it. There has been a ton of water under the bridge 
on our Telegram channel that I had a couple of notes to I I was just looking at it discuss. and I can't even really like keep up with what I saw. Well, I think I'm just going to dive into cuz this will probably take enough time that we can just go <clears throat> Molly with came this. downstairs and said, "Okay, we've got 45 minutes. Let's go." So we've just kind of been rolling. We just d- dove in. I didn't realize Jerry was down here waiting for me and we've got our typical Tuesday judo deadline. Um which is super rad, like usual. Right before I came down here, I was looking up, so I posted on our Telegram channel, does anyone have any favorite lines from Christmas carols that they really love to sing that we should process and discuss? And Davis uh, said he loves the story of the story of the hymn. Oh, Holy Night. And so I looked it up and did you, how much of our Telegram channel did you read? Did you read my last message to Laura? No. Um, so literally I Googled, uh, actually, I'll include the Telegram link in the show notes. I too, so actually Googled, not DuckDuckGo because I was on my computer. I Googled the story of Oh, Holy Night. I didn't read Laura's comment either. So. Okay. Well, you don't have to, because I'm going to tell you. Uh, I googled the story of O Holy Night and got a pretty good synopsis of oh, it. I really want a caramel roll right now. Belief Net. Cinnabon. I'm smelling Cinnabon. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm going to make homemade sourdough donuts mm. for breakfast on Christmas morning. At your parents' house? Yeah. Amazing. And probably also a leek and goat cheese tart that I just saw a recipe for. You might want to do like three batches of donuts, like twice the amount we usually do. Probably just two. There's only us and my parents. Yeah, but our kids are eating so much more these days. Okay. All right, sorry. Back to a holy net. Okay, so Belief Net. I don't have the actual uh, address on my... Right in front of me, but I printed it out. And while I was reading the story... Josh Garrels came on music that was playing just random Christmas play- playlist on my computer. Him singing Oh Holy Night came up. And I thought, oh, it'd be kind of lovely to have, well, we're talking about Oh Holy Night, an overlay of the music, but how to do that without doing copyright issues. So I messaged Laura and asked if she would record a violin version of Oh Holy Night for You. And you have to get together with her. She said yes. Are we, right now. Are we doing it are we doing it for the show we're recording right now? Yeah. Yeah. When am I gonna get together with her? She's just, she's just recording on her phone or something. You don't have to do a big professional one. Oh yeah, I do. I've got this really nice microphone. It's gotta sound good. <sighs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. You're gonna have to get in touch with her. She said she'd be willing and for you to tell her what format you need it in. But listen, there's so much going on with the story of Oh Holy Night. It's super cool and a little bit crazy. So it began in France. This clergyman um asked a guy who was a poet and a wine commissaire whose name was Placide Capot de Ro- Roquemaure. My French is really bad, you guys. I took French for one semester in college. He was known more for his church attendance or for his poetry than his church attendance. He was not a Christian. His parish priest, because he was a poet, asked him to write a poem for the Christmas Mass. He was happy to share his talents with the church. So he 
he read the Gospel of Luke and in a coach going to Paris penned the poem, O Holy Night. Unbeliever, read the Gospel of Luke, wrote O Holy Night. He then thought it was such a good poem, it needed music. So he contacted his friend Adolf Charles Adams, whose dad was a famous musician, to help. He, Adolf had studied at the Paris Conservatoire, and he he thought it was a really challenging request for him, but he wrote the hymn, or the, the music, to O Holy Night that we know. It was called Cantique de Noël in French. So he was Jewish. He also didn't celebrate Christmas. So the music and the words were both written by unbelievers. And it immediately... So this all happened. It took them just like a span of a couple days that they both did all this work. It immediately made its way into church, the church in France. They absolutely loved the song, sang it. Then... Uh, Placide Capot, the author of the poem, completely left the church and became part of the socialist movement. Oh, this is in, what are the dates on this? This is in like 1847. So a couple years later, he becomes a socialist. And then they discover that the guy who wrote the music for it was Jewish. And they banned the church, the song in the official Catholic church in France. Hmm. But people loved it so much, they kept singing it in their homes. And 10 years later, an American guy discovers this song, translates it into English. His name is John Sullivan Dwight. He was an ardent abolitionist, which Davis mentioned on the Telegram channel. And he loved the lines, truly he taught us to love one another, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Which... I think it's incredible that someone who read the Gospel of Luke and the story of Jesus' birth got that out of it. This is an unbeliever who, this is more like Isaiah language, change shall he break. You know, Isaiah is the, they shall beat their plow, their swords into plowshares, um, things like that. And for him to say that change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. So anyway, I just think that's incredible that an unbeliever would, by God's grace, be able to pen words like that by reading, after reading God's word. So he translated this, the words of this, uh, into O Holy Night, as we know, published it, and it took off in the North during the Civil War, mm. O Holy Night. Um, back in France... In 1871, legend has it that in the midst of the Franco-Prussian War, a French soldier jumped out of his trench staring in the face of a German soldier, and they both dropped their weapons, and the German soldier sang a Martin Luther Christmas song to the French guy, and the French guy sang this song back to the German guy. And so that legend created a bit of... Um, more goodwill within the the Catholic Church in France. So the song was back in, in the good graces. In 1906, Christmas Eve, so the original song was penned in 1847, 1906, a guy named Reginald 
Fessenden, 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, used a new type of generator and spoke into a microphone. He invented a microphone, and for the first time in history, sound waves went across telegraph lines, not just as beeps and boops, but as an actual human's voice. On Christmas Eve, 1906, he read, so the first time a man's voice ever went over airwaves, and this is into like ships in the middle of the ocean and mm-hmm. telegraph offices all over, he read, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all, that the world should be taxed. And all these people, are like literally in ships, like, oh my gosh, there's a voice coming over the telegraph line. So people are rushing into these little rooms to hear... Like, literally, some people thought it was God speaking (laughs) because they didn't know it was possible for a human voice to come over the airwaves. After he read the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Luke, he picked up his violin and played O Holy Night over the airwaves. So the first song to ever go out over the radio was a violin version of O Holy Night. Probably the coolest thing that came out of thinking about Christmas lyrics. But what's interesting is a couple of people, the, the phrase that has stuck in my mind a lot this Christmas season, like literally I bought a set of coloring pages from this gal that I, this homeschool mom that I follow on Instagram and her husband is a professional artist and her kids are following in his footsteps and two of her kids published downloadable coloring pages that I I bought the daughter's version and one of that she uses a phrase the weary world rejoices mm-hmm. on the coloring page and I just think a lot of people in our culture right now can really resonate with just a weary world weary of sin <clears throat> weary of our own sin weary if you're a young mom of the umpteenth 
toddler fit or the kids who have the same fight and nitpick at each other over and over every day or money worries, not to mention uh, global issues and COVID issues and our own. We have one friend whose dad died on Monday. I think his dad died on Monday. He had Parkinson's and he'd been going downhill. It might have been yesterday. But it was... Yesterday was Monday. It was yesterday. Uh, Anyway. So Monday. God orchestrated for him to be there when his dad was hospitalized and uh, went downhill extremely fast. I have another friend who whose dad has a brain tumor and he was put on hospice this last weekend. And those are the really heavy, weary world, just the weight of sin of being in a sinful world and all of the pain. And my friend who, whose dad is on hospice, her sister wrote a caring bridge update. And she was like, you know, this, this Christmas will probably be filled with less tears then last Christmas, when the news of our dad's diagnosis was more fresh and it was more shocking and we knew it was inevitable that, that this would take him out. But we're so grateful for for all of the time that we very, very intentionally spent with him. Yep. Asked him very deliberate questions, built relationship with grandchildren that they just would not have in family memories. They took a ton of family vacations together while he was still able to do it. Uh, that's actually where I heard of the story worth the service mm. because they got him when he was still had plenty of energy. They got him story worth. And then each of their grandkids will get a copy of all of the memories that he was able to write down for the last cool. year. But I think in a sense, they're at the tail end of a marathon, you know, just this weary Mm -hmm. world. It's just such a marathon in some ways. And they're at the tail end of the marathon and have settled into this juxtaposition of pain and rejoicing at the same time. Um, So anyway, the weary world rejoices. The show on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for all the links for the show uh, will be in the show notes I'll include a link to the telegram group so you guys can join that it is a private group uh, meaning it's not publicly available but it's shared through our you know, just our network and our fan base and um, for those of you who signed up early on telegram um, cards and stickers and your sticker packs went out so that'll be fun and we um, appreciate your comments, your feedback, your reviews on Amazon. And if you guys happen to listen to Spotify, um, really appreciate it if you review us uh, on Spotify now as well. They've just released podcast reviews. So if you have that opportunity, take a look at that. It goes a long ways towards helping us grow the show and sharing us with your friends. And uh, thanks for listening to us. And we, hanging with us. I feel like we've gotten some really... I don't feel like we've got just gotten some really cool friends and relationships out of this. So um, the potential East Coast tour is going to be full of like a giant in-person telegram meetup, (laughs) which would be super fun. So anyway, with that, you guys have a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday. And we'll rejoin you at the top of the year with another episode, which will be coming out 
uh, we will record right now. We'll plan to record on January 5th for the net first episode of the year. We so. could also record that Sunday afternoon and release it early. Oh, uh, we could record the Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I'm Might be a little Sunday, less rushed. So. Anyway, you guys, it's been awesome. Have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. And, and this is where we fade out with Laura playing Oh Holy Night on the violin. <laughs>